Welcome in everyone to the Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com. I'm Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. I'm joined by Travis Ryer, the senior analyst at BamaOnline.com and the radio host of Southern Fried Sports, which you can catch 11 a.m. to noon on weekdays at 100.9 FM in Tuscaloosa. Lots to get into here on this edition of Talking Tide. Going to be previewing the Iron Bowl. Going to be looking at Alabama's uh, first victory of the season in basketball. And, of course, as always, uh, we'll take a look around the SEC for the upcoming week as well. We'll dive right into it. Of course, you can get Talking Tide at our web host at podbean.com. Also, various apps, including iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Uh, the Talking Tide Twitter feed is talking underscore Tide. And we want to thank our fine sponsors, North River Dental Associates, Heat Pizza Bar and Southern Ale House. More on them a little bit later in the program. But Travis, we bring you in to talk Iron Bowl and the big news obviously breaking here on a Wednesday, three days before kickoff. Nick Saban testing positive for COVID-19 for the second time this season. Of course, the first time prior to the Georgia game turned out to be a false positive. This one, not so much. Looks like Nick Saban's going to be sitting out an iron ball. Darndest thing. Steve Sarkeesian taking over. How about this, if you're Alabama? Last year going into the Iron Bowl, you don't have Tua Tonga-Vailoa, your starting quarterback. And then a year later, you don't have your head coach in Nick Saban. I don't know if we'll ever top that one-two uh, as we move forward in future years. I hope we don't. Uh, but first and foremost, you obviously hope that Nick Saban uh, has an expeditious recovery from this situation, he is 69 years old, uh, so he certainly falls in line with the demographic that you continue to hear is most susceptible uh, to this dreaded virus. But uh, as far as what it means to the Alabama football team and what it means looking ahead to Saturday's game, I'm sure we'll get into all of that. But uh, I guess if there's a silver lining, if you could even potentially in this whole situation is that, as you said, Alabama's been down this road just a month ago uh, in the lead up to the Georgia game because it wasn't really right up until game day that Saban was cleared to coach. It was the same day of the week going into the Georgia game. It was a Wednesday. It's a Wednesday this time around. So uh, I guess you could say the dry run uh, could work out to, to Alabama's favor this time around. Yeah, no question about it. They've got a playbook for this because they went through it the week of the Georgia game. As you noted, it was really just hours before the Georgia kickoff that it was learned uh, that, that Nick Saban would, uh, day the game, uh, would be able to coach in that one. And so certainly that's got to help, I think, transition-wise for Sark. And look, you got a guy in Sarkeesian who's run things on the sideline before. He's been a head coach at Washington at USC. So you know, obviously, this is the Iron Bowl. This is a little different. The whole scenario is uh, uh, unique, so it won't be just like any other game for Sarkeesian. But not something he won't. It's not something he'll be at all unfamiliar with. Yeah, and understanding in hindsight the trials and tribulations that he went through during his times at both Washington and USC, and sort of the triumphant return that he's made to big-time college football, even the National Football League, prior to a return to Alabama for this latest stint, I would venture to guess he's in a better place to, to deal with this situation. 
uh, on and off the field. So uh, you're pulling for the guy, knowing what he's been through, what he's put himself through, how he's pulled himself up, um, and how people have you know, gone to great lengths to try to help him. Uh, you know, it's hard not to pull for Steve Sarkeesian. And, you know, if Alabama plays well, wins the game on Saturday, uh, you know, his stock's already on the rise. And so, uh, you know, you hear him sort of tied in. It seems like more than anything with jobs back out west and maybe mid-level power five jobs like in the Pac-12 con- uh, conference. You know, if, if, if Alabama looks good on Saturday, uh, you know, I, I think he's going to help himself even more, perhaps even with the National Football League. Who knows? But, uh, you know, as you said, it's it's you know, we've just talked about there's a there's a playbook, I guess you could say for this. And uh, look, it's not like Nick Saban is going away for the rest of the week, right up until about 90 minutes before kickoff on Saturday. Chase, Nick Saban's going to have a presence with this football team. It's just when they finally have to turn him off. Uh, probably around 1 p.m. Central on Saturday afternoon that uh, that he won't be right in the middle of this thing. I think it's got to be it's got to be uh, the darndest thing for him knowing that, uh, any head coach, obviously. And there have been head coaches that have sat out games this season. This is certainly no first. Mike Norvell at Florida State had to sit one out. Sam Pittman at Arkansas. Just two examples. There are quite a few others. Uh, but uh, you know, Chase, Chase, do you? Do you think Nick Saban, and this is Wednesday night that we're doing this, do you think Nick Saban even right now really believes he has COVID-19? Or do you think Nick Saban's going to wake up Thursday morning thinking, all right, let's get another test? I mean, I I don't, you know, I I know that the statement from UA was more definitive in terms of his availability and the protocols that were in place. But I just think guys like Nick Saban, people like Nick Saban in general, they're wired in a way in which – it's it might take a, a couple of days for for it to actually sink in that I've got this stuff and I'm really out for Saturday afternoon. He's going to want two tests a day probably this week, even if <laughs> even if there's no. They're going to fire that COVID jet up. They got that COVID jet, you know. I mean, even if there's no chance of him coaching whatsoever, yeah, he's going to want to get this thing out of the way. He was on the radio tonight and said, "I got a head cold," you know. What? <laughs> <So, laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I mean, he he was on the SEC. You know, we get this big release from UA, and, you know, an hour later, he's on the SEC coaches teleconference on Wednesday morning. And like you said, he handled all of his typical duties on Wednesday after that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of preparation and everything else, I don't think in Nick Saban's mind anything is going to change. Um, and, and, you know, if you're, if you're CBS, though, do you love this? Because you're not only going to have an Iron Bowl, and your CBS, you're finally getting another football game after about three weeks to begin with. But you're getting an Iron Bowl, and you're getting an Iron Bowl now without Nick Saban. I mean, think think I would think that's that's a good thing for CBS. Oh yeah, they in terms of intrigue and absolutely, yeah, the storyline. Yeah, no question about it. We'll we'll hear Steve Sarkeesian's name more uh, in this broadcast than we've heard it in the last. 12 months, I think, on television, sir, for sure. Does, does, Saban, does Saban let Sark be interviewed at halftime? Uh, Chase, going into the locker room. Yeah, yeah you got to do that. You got to. Because we didn't hear from Sark on Wednesday, you know, uh, after the rains were inter- on an interim basis handed over. <laughs> yeah. Not us, Steve. I still got it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, 
I would assume that, that those halftime, those quick little halftime interviews are part of the league's contract with the network. Uh, but uh-huh. who knows? Who knows? Yeah. You know, they've, they've been known to Talk be to Greg Byrne. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Alabama and Auburn getting together, as we said, 2.30 p.m. on Saturday. We'll go ahead and jump into the Tigers. Travis, they're 5-2 and two on the year. Bo Nix at quarterback's been uh, much maligned this season uh, for some struggles here and there. He's had an okay year, certainly not a, a great year, the kind of year that I think Auburn fans were hoping for or expecting, but he's definitely got some weapons. Chief among them, Seth Williams, averaging 17 yards per catch. And this guy, Travis, is he's really a complete receiver. I mean, he's long. He can he can catch the jump ball and the contested 50-50 situation. He'll go over the middle. He's got speed to separate. Uh, he, he brings everything to the table at, at that position. Yeah, Seth Williams is one of my favorite players in all of college football and it's been that way really uh since his freshman season down on the plains you're right he has all the athletic attributes that you look for but what i like about the guy is he absolutely attacks the football and he wants it when the when the stage is at its biggest and the moment is at its biggest this is a guy uh that he's not happy if bo nix is maybe going a little too hero mode with his legs and doing some things like that uh, and not getting the football in the direction of Seth Williams. Now, you know, Anthony Schwartz has primarily been known before this season as more of a track guy or known at least for his track speed, world-class speed. I've seen from him, though, this year more and more signs of becoming a at least somewhat complete receiver. So you have to deal with the speed of Anthony Schwartz, and he's had a couple of touchdown catches this year. Uh, 54 yards last week against Tennessee, a 91-yarder against LSU uh, in the Tigers' previous game to the Vols. And in both situations, what ultimately ended up happening was he got matched up on a safety. And that can't happen on Saturday because Anthony Schwartz, like a Devontae Smith, like a lot of these guys, they get those matchups on safeties and with double moves. And uh, they're going to be hard to deal with. Anthony Schwartz doesn't even need a double move. I mean, that's the type of speed we're talking about here. But you said it. Which Bo Nix is going to show up, you know, on Saturday? And when you look at Bo Nix away from Jordan-Hare Stadium, you know, this is an Auburn offense that in three road games so far this season, two touchdown passes, four interceptions, just 5.9 yards per pass attempt. So if it's that passing attack that shows up here, on Saturday, it's hard to like Auburn's chances in the game. Tank Bigsby, the outstanding young running back for the Tigers, questionable to play. Usually these questionable guys end up being goes or at least kind of yellow light goes. Uh, but he's an engine for this offense. Special player. I think he's got a ton of potential. Looking forward to seeing how his career unfolds long term. But if he can't go or is limited, that's going to impact this Auburn offense a great deal too. It is, um, you know, because even with the situation that he was playing with after the injury early in the game, uh, he had three carries for 24 yards against Tennessee last week. Um, I'm with you until I don't see him on Saturday, and I'm sure Alabama's taking the same approach. They'll anticipate seeing him. And look, even if he's limited, this is an area where Auburn has some nice depth with Sean Shivers and DJ Williams uh, with 
Bigsby out for most of that game last Saturday night. Those two guys, 25 combined carries for 131 yards. So, you know, they're capable backs. And then you got to still account for Knicks in the run game. He's averaging four yards per carry. He's not exactly dynamic. Um, he's not Cam Newton, uh, but he's not Nick Marshall even when it comes to that offense. But you do have to account for him, and that's where you have some concerns still with this Alabama defense. And, uh, you know, will this defensive line take care of its gap responsibilities on a consistent enough basis to limit the between the tackle stuff with the zone inside zone and zone read and then moving to the linebackers? Are they going to be disciplined enough to be able to count for Bo Nix in the run game? There's, there's multiple elements coming into play this week that we haven't really seen since Ole Miss and Tempo. Tempo is a part of that as well. Smoke Monday v. Devontae Smith. What are your thoughts on that matchup, Travis? Obviously, Smith, uh, a phenomenal season and career for the Crimson Tide. Just broke the SEC record for career touchdowns. Smoke Monday, a big play guy at the cornerback position. I think athletically, their best option to match up with Smith. Uh, maybe he follows him wherever he goes. Maybe he doesn't. But when those two are head-to-head, I, I think that's going to be one of the more exciting head-to-heads on the field. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a guy that, you know, had a 100-yard interception return last Saturday night, working more at the safety position in that particular look, I believe, uh, when he picked off Jared Guarantano uh, and went the distance. But uh, he's a playmaker. Alabama found that out firsthand down on the Plains last year. So, you know, Christian Tutt, a really solid option, also at the star position. Roger McCreary is played a good bit of football in that secondary for Auburn now. You know, if you're Auburn, though, as crazy as this sounds, you almost hope it comes down to those matchups back there. Because when I look at Auburn in the front seven, and I watched Tennessee last Saturday night, and I watched Ole Miss a couple of games before that, um, you know, it could be Alabama could get in two tight ends a lot on Saturday and just turn this into the Najee Harris show, Chase. Uh, you know, they gave up, gave up over 220 to Tennessee last week on the ground. Uh, Tennessee well over five yards per carry. A lot of people watching that game would tell you Tennessee would have just stuck with it, basically two tight end sets and running the backs, running Gray, running Chandler more than they even did. Uh, they would have had a, a far better chance of winning that game. So, uh, yeah, I want to see those matchups too on the back end, but well, I'll tell you, Auburn better clean some things up in that front seven after last Saturday night. Or, again, this could be a game Alabama controls sort of retro style with that run game. Spreads 24 points. That's a big number for an Iron Bowl, no question. I, look, we've seen Iron Bowls play out where big underdogs hang all day long and, and are right there within a score at the end of the game. You can never be surprised when an Iron Bowl is tight. Nevertheless, 24 points, a big number. and, and I, But I think that's about where it ought to be, frankly. Maybe 21, and maybe a little, maybe it's a little high. Uh, but the way Alabama's played on offense this year, I don't know how you can't install them as pretty fat favorites. Yeah, you know, I thought it would be close to maybe three touchdowns, which when I say three touchdowns, I'm talking 18 points. I'm not including extra points on those. So, you know, 16 to 18, I was a little surprised to see 24 and a half right out the gate. But, um, 
you know, the, there are some issues that, that Auburn continues to deal with. There's the questions about Tank Bigsby. Uh, the offensive line now has been hit with a couple more injuries in that Tennessee game. So uh, it's it's a team with deficiencies, no doubt about it. And you know what? You can't fool the man. You know what the man has? The man has a good memory of games like Arkansas, you know, with this Auburn team. He's got that good memory. He doesn't even have to take notes, the man. You know, it keeps it all in his head, Chase. He knows where the money is going to be bet, too. He likes to keep it even. When the when the spread doesn't yeah. move all week long or doesn't move much, you know that's what the man likes because that means that money's coming in even all week long. It's when the number moves a lot that the man can get a little nervous. Yeah, I mean, he's got to put that line with Alabama these days high enough that he can get some type of action going, you know, or it, it won't attract anything. So, you know, whereas we look at this rivalry and we look at this game and go, wow, I wouldn't have thought more than 16 or 17. He's thinking, okay, what's it going to take to get some money coming the other way, you know, with this team? And so uh, I'm sure that plays into it as well. Alabama basketball opened the season this week uh, with a resounding home win over Jacksonville State. The final score, 81-57. to And, Travis, you took the game in in person, headed on over to Coleman Coliseum. Uh, what were your thoughts on what you saw? Uh, neither team quite there yet in terms of shooting the three. You know, uh, yet Alabama goes 7 of 31 from three Jacksonville state nine of 32 is about what you would expect. I mean, with everything these teams continue to deal with on a daily basis, uh, I don't think it was surprising at all that it was a bit ragged, especially on the offensive end. I thought Alabama, that being said, did a nice job for the most part of taking care of the basketball uh, easily a far better job than did Jacksonville state. And I thought at the fundamental level, you saw what you needed to see from this team in its opener, and that started with Javon Quinterly on the basketball as the replacement, as the successor to Kyra Lewis Jr. He looked extremely comfortable. He showed you the entire arsenal. He showed you that he can shoot the three when called upon. Uh, he showed you that he can get to the rim with either hand. He showed you that he can run that offense in the half court. Uh, and be the catalyst when he needs to be from that perspective. You know, he was really, really good, I thought, in the game, especially in the first half. And then second half, you get Shackelford coming on with 15 second-half points. It wasn't the best shooting night for John Petty Jr., just two of eight. You know, Herb Jones did what Herb Jones does. A lot of that involves the defensive end of the floor and also, uh, you know, keeping possessions alive, extending possessions, and then, you know, in addition to Quinterly, when you talk about some of the new faces, and Quinterly not technically new because he sat out as a transfer last season, but, um, you know, I like James Rojas, the junior college transfer. He, too, had been around for a year, but he had to sit out last year with the knee injury. I like some of the, the perceived little things that he brings to the table. I was a little surprised by Rojas in that, you know, he was able to do some things off the dribble uh, with the bounce uh, that I hadn't quite anticipated uh, you know, Jordan Bruner coming in as the DL transfer, saw some decent things from. I mean, they played pretty much every one of their scholarship players that were available. Alex Chaku, the freshman who tore his Achilles, uh, you know, a, a short while back, he's obviously out for the season. So, you know, Nate Oates said it going into the game, Chase, said he was going to try to play everybody 
and it looked like he was successful in doing that from a scholarship perspective. And, uh, you know, they are going to find out a lot more about themselves coming up, hopefully. Hopefully this thing in Asheville is going to go off next week as the replacement site for the Maui Invitational. Uh, assuming it does, you're going to see Alabama-Stanford on Monday uh, in the in kind of a later game on Monday night. Uh, and then the potential for a second round matchup with home state, North Carolina. So uh, we're, we're going to get more of an update. We're going to get more of a, a good look at, at what this team, you know, at least in terms of potential can do and, you know, still probably going to play a number of combinations like they did on, uh, on Wednesday night. But when you start getting into the Stanford's and potentially the North Carolina's uh, even next week, it's going to slim down a little bit. As poorly as Alabama shot the three against Jacksonville State as a team, I think if there was one of those long-range shots that really raised some eyebrows, it was a second-half three from Quinterly on the right wing that he splashed from beyond an NBA distance. I mean, he had to have been at least six or seven feet behind the line and uh, splashed it from way out there, showed a lot of range. If he's got range like that, it, it's uh, it's going to be a fun player to watch. Yeah, you like that he gets 18, and he does it on 7 of 12 shooting. And as you said, 2 of 5 from 3, took care of the basketball, just one turnover uh, in 26 minutes of action. His plus-minus in the game uh, was right there with Petty's, uh at, at plus 25, you know, while he was on the four. So I think it was pretty obvious. They're, they're better certainly right now. And I think this will be the case as we move throughout the season with Javon Quinterly in the game than they are without him. But, you know, you did get to see Josh Primo, the freshman on the ball. Some saw some flashes there from him, a lot of potential, a lot of upside. Herb continues to show you some that he can play on the ball for some limited minutes. So, uh, you know, athletically, it's a team that, that looks far more like what you thought a Nate Oates team would look like down the road. But this is just year two. And they get after you defensively, man. It's non-negotiable with him. So, you know, if you think you're just going to be a, a guy that can play in transition offensively and shoot the three, uh, you better have some great nights as a scorer if you're not going to play legit defense. And even then, I think he's going to get you out. But, uh, you know, I, I think we, we get so caught up in the offensive style of this team that we probably don't consider uh, how good they could end up being defensively. And they showed you some of that Wednesday night, too. No doubt about it. As you mentioned, the next game for Alabama Monday in the Maui Invitational against Stanford. And so we won't be touching on basketball at all for the Sunday nighter when we recap the Iron Bowl. However, next Wednesday, uh, we'll be able to look back a little bit and uh, see what we see from the Crimson Tide in Asheville. The Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Got to thank a couple sponsors here really quickly, starting with North River Dental Associates and Dr. Jack Smalley, former Alabama football player and his professional staff of dental hygienists. They can take care of all your needs, all your family needs, whatever the dental work you might need. They'll get you taken care of. It's easy to locate right off of Watermelon Road in Fairfax Park, right beside West Alabama Pediatrics. You can make appointments all sorts of ways. The phone number is 752-3506. The website, NorthRiverDentist.com. 
Com. Now, on a routine cleaning, they'll have you in and out of there in under an hour, and that includes your weight. They're also great with dealing with those insurance folks, which can be a pain sometimes. And, of course, all the dental services you could possibly want, porcelain veneers, teeth whitening services, endodontics, dental implants, whatever you might need, they'll get you taken care of over at North River Dental. I'm going to tell you about Southern Ale House out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North. In the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa, may have slipped by Southern Ale House pregame for Alabama, Jacksonville State. Don't forget, they've got that great happy hour during the week for you there at Southern Ale House. Typically, I'm by there for lunch because, of course, I love that yard bird chicken sandwich that I've told you about many, many times. Uh, the Buffalo Bird is outstanding, too. If you like more of a fried chicken sandwich, then the Buffalo Bird is absolutely outstanding. Great salads at lunch or at dinner. They can take care of you either way. Great plate dinners, great plate lunches. That center cut bone and pork chop. Yes, you cannot beat it. Southern Ale House, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North. Also want to tell you about Heat Pizza Bar. Now, Heat is closed for the holiday, but they're going to be up and running for you again to take you through the Iron Bowl weekend right there in the middle of downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. You're going to find the very best pizza you have ever put in your mouth. I'm telling you, people talk about Chicago style, New York style. People, we've got Tuscaloosa style, and it's the best you're going to find at Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Full bar service for you as well. They've got that outstanding craft cocktail menu that they'll hook you up with. Uh, a wide selection of craft brews as well. If your wine is more of your thing, they can take care of you there. I know they've got some Pinot Noir back behind that bar there. At Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa, Government Plaza. Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. The Twitter feed, talking underscore Tide. A couple minutes to go here in the program, Travis. We'll look around a couple games around the Southeastern Conference. And one of our favorites, one of yours and mine, Travis, always is the Egg Bowl, Mississippi State and Ole Miss. When those two get together, uh, it's they always seem to find a way to make it exciting. They always seem to ring up a few extra 15-yarders for you if you, if you enjoy that <laughs> style of football. Uh, a lot of animosity between those programs. And now this year, uh, you get the added bonus excitement factor of, of Mike Leach opposite Lane Kiffin. Yes, you do. And sadly, we're not going to have this game Thanksgiving night, you know, because of some cancellations too now this week. I don't think we really have college football of any kind on Thanksgiving night. We're not going to have an NFL on Thanksgiving night with the Steelers and the Ravens now pushed back. So our dessert, our football dessert, our gridiron dessert is pretty much off the table, so to speak, for Thanksgiving. But they will get together, as you said, in Oxford on Saturday afternoon. Another shame with that is that it's basically on opposite the Iron Bowl. So good luck with some of the television ratings outside of the Magnolia States with that one. But uh, you're right. It's certainly taken on more intrigue after the encouraging performance by Mississippi State, albeit in a loss to Georgia on the road last weekend. But you saw some glimmer and you've heard some positive things from Mike Leach in the days since and taking a team with sub 50 scholarship players 
over to Sanford Stadium. Uh, pretty impressive to do what they did. So we'll see if there's some carryover. You know, I tend to like Ole Miss laying the nine and a half in this one. Uh, but maybe the Pirate is has got that thing trending in the right direction. I just don't think, Chase, Mississippi State offensively with the air raid is set up in a way in which they can really take away, uh, take advantage of this Ole Miss defense that we know is absolutely porous. Yeah, it, it's extremely porous. The Ole Miss offense, I think, has got a, uh, a better chance of kind of sustaining. I think they're, they just got themselves together a little bit more on that side of the ball than does – Mississippi State. A couple years from now, maybe the personnel that leads looks forward to run that area gets in there. Uh, things could be different and a lot more dangerous over in Starkville. But this year, I like Ole Miss certainly to win the game. Nine and a half seems a little high. Um, not sure how I'd play that spread wise, but uh, I definitely do <laughs> like uh, definitely like Ole Miss. And it would just it would just be for recreational. It would just be for grins anyway. You know. Just for grins. Matchsticks. Matchsticks. <laughs> Used to play cards with my grandfather for matchsticks. So. Uh, Farts Kentucky. and giggles. Yeah. <laughs> Kentucky at Florida, Vanderbilt at Missouri, LSU at Texas A&M, Georgia at South Carolina. Any of those games uh, jump out to you as one you'll be uh, ex- kind of eyeballing this Saturday. You know, can um, – can JT Daniels back it up after the performance against Mississippi State in Athens? Can he go on the road and do something similar uh, in Columbia? I'm, I'm interested to see what type of carryover uh, there is from that perspective. Um, you know, when you look at when you look at Vanderbilt, Missouri, you would think there's absolutely no reason to watch this football game. But as we heard on Wednesday. You could have the goalkeeper for the Vanderbilt women's soccer team kicking against Missouri on Saturday. So that's one that's kind of near and dear to my heart. You sure. know, we've had that in our home. So uh, I, I'll actually I'll have an eye on Columbia, Missouri, because I want to see if if Sarah Fuller ends up getting a shot. You know, she would be the first female in Power Five history to actually see the field in a uh, regular season game. So we could have some history uh, in the Southeastern Conference with an otherwise no reason to watch contest between those two. I'll be pulling for the Commodores in that one because on our our weekly pick segment on the Crimson Cover TV show, of course, uh, uh, John and Mike uh, Copeland and Mike Parker, they always bet the heavy chalk, of course. Uh, They don't like to go out on a limb because we're all looking to beat each other with these (laughs) picks records. And so we get to we get through five games picking for the for this week's show, and the last and, and of course we're all picking the same winners up and down. So there's not going to be any movement next week. We get to Vanderbilt, Missouri. Of course, uh, Mike Parker wouldn't pick Vanderbilt to win a baseball game. He, he won't he won't pick Vanderbilt to win uh, tiddlywinks. He takes Missouri. John takes Missouri, and and I I chastised him and I chided them and I said somebody has to have the guts to uh, pick something different this week so give me the Commodores I said so yeah you know Vandy's actually been playing better they lost by three a couple weeks ago it's kind of a backdoor three-point loss uh, at Kentucky and look they were right there with Florida for a half and some change uh, a week ago in Nashville you know I would probably be on the other end of that chiding because I would go Missouri as well 
but it doesn't seem as far fetched, I guess, is what I'm saying, as it would have maybe three weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast. Be sure to join us for the Sunday nighter when we recap the Alabama Auburn game for Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com and Southern Fried Sports Radio. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. We'll talk to you Sunday night right here on Talking Tide. <laughs>